I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang and Guyana people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. But the hills are such a diverse part of the world. It, it's genuinely bountiful. You can grow just about anything up here. Well, the Adelaide Hills in general has such a lovely diversity of climate and soils. Would we want to be growing grapes in another region? No. The Adelaide Hills is where we want to be. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. The Adelaide Hills is a reservoir of discovery and adventure in South Australia. Located a mere 20 minutes east of the city of Adelaide, it's nestled into the southern reaches of the Mount Lofty Ranges. At every twist and turn, Adelaide Hills is a destination offering scenic regional experiences. My most recent visit was to celebrate Chardonnay May, conducted by the Adelaide Hills wine region. And what a treat it was to be immersed in the culture, the genuine hospitality and sheer beauty of the hills. Join me today as we pop the cork on the Adelaide Hills. First up, I chat to contract winemaker Peter Lesky about making wine throughout the region. Peter Lesky, we're here at Simon Tolly Wines uh, and we just wrapped up an amazing masterclass of Chardonnay. You've been making wine in the hills all over and for many brands. What are you excited about for the future of the Adelaide Hills and, and where do you think that we will see Adelaide Hills um, from a consumer perspective um, against the other regions of Australia? Against the other regions, interesting word. I won't go against the other regions, but the hills are such a diverse part of the world. It, it's genuinely bountiful. You can grow just about anything up here, whether it's apples and pears or kiwi fruit or persimmons or, or grapes. Um, and there's, there's such a rich tapestry of altitudes, uh, topography, aspect, soil type, um, that in the 20-something years I've been here, um, I've seen us go from focused on Chardonnay and Pinot to Sauvignon Blanc to what I call unexplored varieties, so you know, Tempranillo, Mencia in our case. Um, and now that we understand that rich tapestry so much better than we did 20 years ago, the, the, the future is wide open. You know, there's so many different things we can do. We've got proven track record with a variety of things, um, but yeah, the, it's, it's, there are boundless possibilities, and that's enormously exciting. I wish I was younger. <laughs> And how is Mencia going for you? I mean, what, what are you finding with growing and, and, and uh, experimenting with that variety? Well, I must give the credit to my business partner, David Lemieux. I don't do this often. Um, I'm only doing it because he's not here. Um, but it was his idea to put Mencia into our vineyard at Lenswood. Um, and it was an experiment. We didn't know if it would work or not, but it's been fabulous. Um, it's, uh, it's at quite a high altitude, and red varieties in a high altitude, cool climate are a risky thing, but it performs. Um, so the good news is it ripens. Um, but not only does it do that, it makes terrific wine. And quite a few other people have either planted or grafted it now as well. So you, this will never be a Mencia region, but it's certainly got a great future here. Um, it, it'll ripen in warm years, it'll ripen in cool years. Um, it makes a medium-bodied, uh, fragrant, crunchy red, uh, which is just beautiful in its youth and has some ageing capacity. Now, we're not talking 20, 30 years, um, but uh, no, it's, it's a wonderfully versatile grape um, and performs under our rather difficult, cool conditions. And in terms of um, someone coming to visit the hills, other than drinking fabulous wine, which of course we ask everybody to do, what else do you, th why do you love living in the region and what else do you think is one of the kind of benefits of being in this kind of cooler, higher altitude area? 
Well, for a start, it's drop dead gorgeous. Um, just look out the window. You know, look at that. It's just beautiful, um, and it's so close to the city of Adelaide, um, which has an enormous benefit. Um, it's for people who've not been here before, it can be quite confusing because the roads are tight and they're twisty-turny, um, but that's part of its charm and part of its beauty. Um, but you can you can go from the the, the charm of an old village of Harndorf, um, and ten minutes later you're you can't see a house, you can't see anything other than trees and cows and vines, and there's beautiful little cellar doors with great food offerings as well. So you can lose yourself in the hills literally uh, or figuratively for a day or two and just have a fabulous time. You'll see wonderful wine there'll be local foods being made into some terrific dishes by local chefs um yeah i, the, the, I don't see a downside <laughs> call me blinkered but i don't absolutely and it is so ridiculously close we've had an amazing time and thank you for spending your time and thank you for that wonderful chardonnay masterclass and we look forward to seeing what else you produce my pleasure thank you very much Brian Crozer is a pioneer of Australian wine. He has influenced and helped shape the South Australian wine industry. With 50 years dedicated to an obsession with the vine, it's no surprise that in the Adelaide Hills, he is summed up as the OG of viticulture. Brian Crozer, you're one of the first to plant vines in Piccadilly and identify the region for excellent viticulture. Is it hard not to say, I told you so, to everybody? (laughs) I've never thought of that. Yeah, I'd love to say that. (laughs) There's a few people in particular I'd like to say it to who are extreme sceptics that uh, we could ever grow grapes in this cool, wet place. But um, 42 years, 43 years later, I think we've proven it. I think so too. You have an amazing ability to see um, sites and their potential for varieties. Uh, What do you love? If you could sum up, what do you love about making wine in the Adelaide Hills? Well, the Adelaide Hills in general has such a lovely diversity of climate and soils that you can find a spot to do almost anything that's done well in Europe or in America, Oregon, California. So there is a spot somewhere in the Adelaide Hills where you can grow great Shiraz, great Viognier, great Sauvignon Blanc. I, don't, I think that's an oxymoron, by the way, great Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and... Great Chardonnay, obviously. Chardonnay is the variety of the of the Adelaide Hills, and particularly the cooler parts, Lenswood and Piccadilly Valley. Well, we've certainly seen that in experiencing the Tears Vineyard and the 1.5 metre um, site as well. You have a love affair with Chardonnay. I think that's obvious. What do you love about drinking Chardonnay? Uh, it's it's such a um, an enigma. Um, it has all of the lovely characteristics of a refreshing fresh white wine um, and the acid but then it has this complexity and texture um, uh, of a red wine so it combines the the best of both worlds Um, if you're looking for a glass of something that's very satisfying and very mouth filling and uh, makes you think Um, you know Riesling doesn't make me think as much I love Riesling but it's such a simple formula Um, beautiful but very straightforward Chardonnay makes you think because it is so complex I've never heard it described that way but it makes a lot of sense of why when you need to just have one drink Chardonnay does a bit of everything for you so I, I love the way you've described that thank you for your time today and that tasting was absolutely phenomenal it's a pleasure having you here. So I know you, and I'm glad you know a little bit more about our story. 
Definitely. Last time I was here was before uh, this um, tasting room was here. It was yeah. quite some years ago before your 1.5 was planted. Yeah. So it's amazing to see its development over time. Okay, come back again. Adelaide Hills has had their fair share of heartache and the 2020 bushfires was detrimental to the region. Darren and Lucy Golding of Golding Wines talked me through that testing time and the recovery process since. Okay, so when the bushfires came through in uh, December of 2019, we lost, I would say, about 95% of our vineyard. So the way that the fire moves through a vineyard, um, it pretty much moves through underneath the, the vines as a grass fire and damages the trunks of each vine and the, um, the dripper lines melt and create little spot fires. So unfortunately, once a fire takes away, gets away in a vineyard, it's very hard to stop it. Um, since that time, we've gone through a process of rejuvenating our property block by block. We didn't uh, tackle the whole thing in the first year because we really wanted to guarantee fruit supply or a portion of fruit supply from our own property. Um, over the years since then, we have had to buy in some fruit to supplement uh, what we are able to produce. Um, and we're slowly getting um, back up. I'd say at the moment we're probably producing 30% uh, of what we did pre-fire. Um, we used to sell a lot of that fruit on though to other producers. So in terms of our own production, we're covering our own production really nicely now. So in our Vintage 22, um, all of the fruit has come from our own property, but it will take a few more years to get back up. The idea being that we slowly take more of that fruit for ourselves and sell a smaller portion on to other people. Thank goodness that you could also buy in some grapes and look at that. What does it do, do to a community when you go through something like that? I mean, especially for the fact that it was quite targeted in that, you know, it hit some people and it completely missed others. And, and how did you feel about um, the response from living in, in, in the hills and, and the wineries around it? Oh, I think um, we were fortunate in we got great support from other growers and other producers in the hills to, to help us with our continuity through that vintage. I think one of the really hard things for people was even if they didn't have a uh, direct impact from the fire, they had damage from the smoke from that uh, that event. So, um, yeah, it was a tough year for a lot of people um, to... Uh, reconcile an event that might have been kilometres and kilometres from your property but then your your fruit was damaged and you, you couldn't use it so a challenging year for everyone in that that vintage uh, so everyone rallied around to try and help one another um, and going forward the same sort of community spirit I think um, within the grape growing community every every person empathises with what we all go through because we share the season together we share the ups and downs of um, a growing season so um, like most regions in Australia everyone sort of knows one another and they, they pull together. The photos that you were just showing me of, of the fires coming through the rows is something that you can't even almost describe. Uh, I can't imagine how hard that must have been. Uh, what will you do differently and like you said there, there may not be something that you can do you know to completely protect but what's your outlook for for warmer vintages and and how how are you going to cope with those warmer temperatures i think you prepare as best you can there are certain things that you would do differently in terms of uh, infrastructure and you know having readily available uh, water i think one of the, the critical things is during a fire they shut the power down normally so you don't have access to power to power pumps and things like that um, 
in terms of when it gets really, uh, really, you know, to the extreme ends of um, uh, difficult days and catastrophic weather events, there's nothing you can do. You sort of, it's, um, it's more protection of, of life, really, um, and then everything is secondary. I suppose it's the risk and it's all part of it. I mean, a lot of agriculture is, this is what we're up against the elements, I suppose, but it's, it's a pretty hard pill to swallow, I imagine, when it's your life. Oh, totally, totally. It, um, it, it takes a, I don't think, someone asked me the other day, how are you, how are you coping? And they said, well, and I said, well, in terms of the vineyard and work, and they said, no, personally. And I said, well, I don't think you ever, that scar is with you. Um, you work through it and, um, you know, I've sort of had the trials of all that sort of stuff where uh, you can't bury it, you've got you to gotta deal with it. So it, um, it certainly stays with you. Having said all of that, though, would we want to be growing grapes in another region? No, the Adelaide Hills is where we want to be. So that is, um, there's so many beautiful things about this, this region um, and so many rewards for producing wines out of this region. I think you just have to weigh up the risks and carry on best you can. Yeah, yeah, so it's our home. We we went through the Ash Wednesday Ash Wednesday fires in uh, the early eighties, and yeah. I was like a, a young person. My dad was involved in horticulture at that time, and you know I still remember that. It is part of part of life up here, unfortunately. Sounds a bit like grief in general. If people say that you grow around it, it just kind of becomes part of it. Uh, you know, it doesn't ever go away. But well, you do. Like when you when you grow grapes, my vineyard is. Uh, part of the family. Mm. I think that was probably, I think what, after an event like that, it really brings home to you how personal your relationship is with the landscape and the environment that you um, live and work in and produce beautiful fruit with and you know, an assault on that landscape through a bushfire is, feels like an assault on you personally. And so you do actually move through those, um, those stages of, and it is, it is grief. So something that you spend um, 30 years building up, disappearing in less than an hour, is, is something that's really hard to deal with. But um, once again, the beauty of our region and what we can produce here um, is absolutely worth uh, rebuilding and continuing on. So where, um, and a silver lining is always, looking for silver linings is um, the opportunity in regenerating our vineyard is to look at planting some new clones and rearranging blocks and, and doing things that we wouldn't have probably done had the fire not come through. So it's always good to try and look for a positive where you can. Absolutely. So important for our survival, I think. Absolutely. Xavier Bizio from uh, Dowser Wines. You've been a huge um, leader, I think, in sparkling wine for this region. What, is, what have you seen in the time of, of when you were kind of first invested here in production and, and what you see the hills and, and where it's going now? Well, as uh, Kate was saying, um, uh, I think um, sparkling used to be a side project. Um, the only exception was uh, the Corozo Sparkling, which was definitely not a side project, but front and centre. Um, in the hills, uh, people were making sparkling with fruit that was less ripe, etc. But now there's a positive uh, move to actually make uh, world-class sparkling wine with fruit that actually is dedicatedly grown for sparkling um, with uh, specific um, management practices and whole block that have been identified for being cooler and the stand for sparkling wine production. So when you have that movement and that um, momentum, 
the things will only, it's a virtuous circle and the quality will only go up and up every year. In terms of sparkling wines for both of you um, within Australia, you know, there's been some huge commercial investment in other regions, but I don't feel like there's a huge um, uh, competition for sparkling. We, we kind of looked at Tassie and we looked at the hills. Do you think it's a positive or a negative to have more boutiques, smaller houses producing sparkling wine? Do you think that's been a positive for the hills or do you, would you like to see um, bigger investment from kind of bigger houses to, to really drive sparkling? Uh, well, I think it's uh, everyone that's making sparkling wine, it's selling out every year in the hills. And so naturally, uh, things will grow. <laughs> and there's a, a thirst in Australia. Australians love uh, bubbles. <laughs> and the uh, problem is champagne won't be able to uh, cater for Australians' thirst for bubbles on its own. And there comes Australian sparkling wine which are, you know, have their own style and Australian, after bubbles, the second thing they like is drinking the wines from their own land, so, and their own products. There's, there's a massive market at our doorsteps and, um, and as we grow sparkling wine production and high quality sparkling wine, um, we'll, um, we'll um, make, um, we'll be more successful. But coming back to the boutique versus the big guys, one of the problems I see in Tasmania is the big production companies are making volume. Uh, they are not, in terms of quality, um, they don't talk about it too much, but a lot of them, the best ones, will not tell you that, but they don't, they make transfer method wines. They don't make traditional method wines. Whereas in the hills, a lot of the smaller producers, all, our boutique, all of us boutique producers focus on traditional method. And that's where the quality is and the quality lies. And that's where uh, we will see, um, um, that's where I hope we'll see the hills uh, will grow. Erin Klein, you're a leader of biodynamics at Naringa. Your farm has a plethora of fruits, vegetables and livestock. Tell me about what it's like to farm this way in this place. Uh, to, the, to the outside, we're definitely living the dream. And um, like we really, for, mo for most of the time, we don't need to leave the property. We've got all the food that we need to eat. Uh, we eat seasonally. Um, but then the reality is it is a lot of work and it's, um, it's a labour of love. So what do you do in the difficult years? How do you combat uh, those struggles and, and still remain viable? So it's, I don't think we've ever had to fully lose a crop, but you definitely have to reduce a crop and you just have to make do with what the season gives you. And if you can read that early enough, you can usually still produce amazing quality, but at a lesser quantity. But um, I guess the long term is um, that we, need, we, we definitely need the better seasons to compensate commercially for the, for the lesser ones. Why do you think it's so important to be connected to your piece of land? It's, it's hard for me to judge. Um, like for us, like we weren't directly affected by the bushfires. They came within four kilometres of us, so it was really scary. I know I've got friends like Golding that were seriously affected by the fires. Um, yeah, I, I, fi I find it hard to say definitively. And um, I guess part of the way we farm a key, really key part is to be connected and have your 
you know, like in biodynamics, if you have your, you know, the, the farmer's footsteps in the vineyard, on the farm, you know what's going on, you see what's going on. It's really, it's a key part of what we do. And I see myself, if I'm traveling more, I have, I lose that connection very easily and you end up making judgment calls and often they're not totally right. So it's, it's a key part to, to be here and observe and see what the land needs. And also the way we farm. We farm we, part of biodynamic farming is to farm with animals. So if you miss a few days, you, you have a sick animal and you have to put it down. Whereas if you catch it early enough, it's, um, it's often... You can heal that animal, and it's the same with plants. If you miss something in the vineyard, whether it's a, an insect attack or fungal disease, it's always much harder to catch up than to identify it early and treat the cause. I'm here with Liam Van Pelt from Ashton Hills, jack of all trades apparently. Uh, you started out at 2019 in Ashton Hills. Um, what do you think is an important variety for the hills uh, that tells the Ashton Hills story? And, and what do you think is um, kind of what do you think the future of the Adelaide Hills is? And where are we going? And what makes it unique? Thanks, Shante. Um, I think the future of the hills is, uh, I guess producers going back to the roots of the vineyard and um, perhaps looking at farming more holistically versus uh, just sourcing fruit and making wine. Um, I think there's a lot of young producers up here that realise that sustainability is key, <clears throat> a key aspect. Um, and, you know, it's really important to translate that to our consumers as well. Um, and I think that, you know, the better wines, uh, not just in the Adelaide Hills, but Australia and the world come from sites that are, uh, are managed um, as best as they can with low inputs um, and smartly. Uh, and so the best quality fruit comes from that so that our job in the winery is a lot less. Your wines are highly in demand, uh, so much so that uh, maybe, you know, inaccessible to some people just in terms of trying to get their hands on them what do you think that has to do with it is it the history of Ashton Hills or wh why have they been so successful yeah so <clears throat> Stephen started Ashton Hills back in the uh, late 80 uh, sorry early 80s 82 he planted the the vineyard at Ashton um, and I mean he'll tell you to this day that it was really hard to sell uh, rusty water, as he would call it, in in the Adelaide market, meaning Pinot. Um, everyone just wanted Barossa, Shiraz, and Cabernet. Um, but he he truly believed that that Ashton Hills and, and Adelaide Hills was a, was a great spot for for um, table Pinot and table Chardonnay, uh, and stuck with it. And so we've had this um, you know three hectare vineyard that's been farmed by Stephen. Since 1982, he's put a tremendous amount of um, work into uh, clonal selection. Um, we've trialled 26 different clones of Pinot on our vineyard, and we've just planted our 27th. Um, so for someone to put in sort of 30 years of, uh, I guess, research and dedication to finding what clones suit our site the best, um, you know, really shows that that was key in establishing our vineyard and shows that, um, yeah, what does it show? 
It does show deliciousness. I mean, um, so we we are blessed or very lucky that that someone had put that amount of work in um, over that period of time, uh, and and that sort of work still continues to this day. Um, and so we just hope that there's more people out there that are, are truly looking to invest time in the vineyard and find out what suits their site the best, um, so that in turn the wine turns out the best. I think in trying to understand a region when we have something like an immersion program, you come away wanting to wrap everything up in a box and go, I now understand the Adelaide Hills. But I think what most exciting part about the Hills is the diversity and the incredible producers. They are boutique. They don't produce on a huge amount of scale, but you have so much to offer. Um, and, you know, I think it's going from strength to strength. And I really think that uh, if Ashton continues what they're doing, they really offer something really unique. Um, and with Floyd in the mix, the brand new Border Collie Kelpie pup, who doesn't want to come and visit? <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I've got Matt Skinner here from Sand Hill Road, or our expert clay duck shooter of the day. Uh, what, it's, what surprised you about your trip to the Adelaide Hills this time, and, and what are you excited about in terms of the hills? Oh, look, first and foremost, I'm excited to be out of my own state for the first time in two and a half years outside of Victoria. Um, look, it's been unreal to come here, and I guess we get blinkered in Victoria. Well, well, well I have been anyway. I've seen, you know, the usual suspects you see a lot. To be able to come here and just see the diversity of quality across the board in one variety in Chardonnay um, is incredible. And look, there's a, there's a story about sub-regionality. I'm not sure that, that it was... It was really easy to differentiate it for me to, between Ledswood and Piccadilly um, and Mount Barker. But what I did see was just this incredible evolution in style in Chardonnay. And these, there's no question these are some of the best wines being produced, examples of Chardonnay being produced in Australia right now. I totally agree with you. And uh, in terms of what do you think the Chardonnay offers, as opposed to if you were maybe to drink Victoria or something like that, if you were to lead a guest or someone to a drinker to the hills, what, what, how would you sell it? Generosity, style, power and elegance are two words that have been used a lot in the last 24 hours. And I feel like that's really true here. Um, you know, some of, some of the, the eastern, sta eastern side of Australia, you know, you see more elegance, but you don't quite, you don't always see the flesh and the power behind the wines. Whereas I think here you, you get that benefit. Um, yeah, it, it's just been a really stunning lineup across the board in, in pack, packed into a really short time frame. So yeah, I'm really happy. <laughs> Awesome. I'm glad you've enjoyed it and I hope you continue drinking Adelaide Hills Chardonnay, but Adelaide Hills in general. Adelaide Hills in general. I, I, it's, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to come back um, to South Australia and especially to the Adelaide Hills. So I can't wait to come back again. Adelaide Hills' stronghold lies in its diversity of microclimates. It's known for premium, cool climate wines, and now it's also recognised for emerging varieties in such an assortment of styles. You can lose yourself in the Adelaide Hills and be back in the city before you know it. You never know, you might just want to stay. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.